Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps commentator, investor, and writer of the Stockopedia.com small cap value reports for many years now with Graham Neary and also occasional help from Roland Head. Now I've actually been off on holiday this week, so I'm in I'm recording this from the beautiful little island of Gozo, just uh, one of the two main islands, uh, the smaller island of Malta. Uh, I love Malta. I come here every year. And Gozo is the, the smaller, very rural island to the north. You, can, you might just be able to make out birds tweeting in the background. Instead of the usual ones in Bournemouth, the giant gulls going... At about 500 decibels. Here we get nice, gentle tweeting of small songbirds. I think there's some robins nesting in the roof above me of this lovely penthouse I've booked on Airbnb. I think I mentioned before you can get amazing deals if you book for four weeks or more uh, off-season. It's not particularly hot here at the moment, about 14 degrees C, but I've brought my walking boots, so I'm doing lots of exercise and hiking and so on. So, yeah, really enjoying it. Obviously, I'm keeping an eye on the markets as well. Uh, thank you very much to Graham Rowland, who's done a sterling job this week writing the Small Cap Valley reports. I don't really want to talk for them in these uh, in these podcasts, so I'll focus mainly on the stocks I've also looked at independently. I've been still been looking at the market, obviously, but I, it's just been it's been really nice actually having a break from having to write uh, to rush out a report in the morning as well. So. Turning to Monday then, the 3rd of April 2023, as I say, Graham and Roland wrote these reports. They looked at, uh, Graham looked at Numis and Peel Hunt. He always looks at the fund managers because he's a, a former fund manager himself, so he knows the sector inside out. Looks like he's more keen on Numis than on Peel Hunt. Now, Graham did flag up last year, actually, last autumn, that the, um, the fund management stockbroking sector offers very attractive value a nice asset backing in many cases right now i agree with them i think it's the obvious time to buy them is when there's a dearth of ipos and deals have dried up and the markets have plunged and that's when the shares collapse and you can buy them dirt cheap and then you just sell them obviously when the cycle uh, recovers and goes to to boom times easy said than done as always uh, what else did they look at? Now, Roland looked at Traxxas, TRCS. This is the uh, specific uh, rail and road transport software, sort of niche business acquisitive group, incredibly well managed previously by John MacArthur, uh, who's a good friend of private investors. He's handed over the reins to a new team now, but he's in the background doing... Um, acquisition type work I haven't actually looked at the Traxxas results yet but um, Roland uh, thought they were good but with a full valuation which pretty much sums up my previous views on it over several several years very good group very nice niches it's in Uh, interesting growth potential as well Traxxas what Graham looked at WH Ireland another financial sector one he's amber on that i've never seen the point in those shares being traded i should uh, mention actually I've, I've been a client of wh island for many years and i've just recently moved my sip from wh island to hargreaves lambsdown purely because i wanted um you know much lower fees i couldn't justify the dealing commissions with wh island although they do much more bespoke type dealing on microcaps when they can often uh, work orders and get um good price execution so there are some benefits to having a specialist broker but i decided to move it from 
as I say, from WH Island to Hargreave Lambsdown. Gotta say the the transfer process went very smoothly. Took about three or four weeks. Quite a bit of paperwork and emails flying about, but I think both sides, Hargreaves Lambdown and EBS, who are the fund uh, administrators for WH Island, I thought were very competent, good communications and handled the whole thing very well. So moving a pension wasn't quite as onerous, was nowhere near as onerous as I was expecting. And I'm already enjoying having the flexibility to do more actual trades. I've decided to be more active with my personal portfolio, uh, given the fact that we're having so much volatility in markets. I think I need to be that bloody coffee can book cost me a fortune by uh, just making me impervious to market crashes last year and losing most of my money. So uh, that one book, I wish I'd never bloody read it. Anyway, (laughs) you live and learn, don't you? You live and learn. And it's only money at the end of the day. So uh, what else? Oh, Cineworld, C-I-N-E. This has been ridiculous. I mean, we've been saying for nearly a year now that the thing was insolvent. And they've said yet again... Uh, that the restructuring they're doing will not provide any recovery for shareholders of Cineworld's existing shareholders. They've, been, they've said this repeatedly, but still the shares remain trading. I think they might have finally been suspended, but what a, what a weird situation. Roman looked at Surface Transforms, uh, Transforms SCE. This is the ceramic brakes thing that looks to have reached a sort of b- breakthrough point in terms of big orders and so on. But it is having some technical problems scaling up production, as I think you would expect, wouldn't you, really? Uh, Grant, Roland's not particularly keen on it. He's marked it red. Um, I probably personally would have gone more amber on that one, because I think it does have a unique um, story. Um, and it, it looks to be breaking through into profit this year. So, I don't know, 73 million market cap still factors in a lot of it execution risk I think um, or rather not enough doesn't factor in enough execution risk now D4T4 Solutions this is the software company uh, that uh, it's difficult to explain sort of does deep data analysis Uh, got very very impressive customer list banks insurance companies any companies with massive amounts of data it does seem to have um, uh, an edge on it and if you're thinking this is starting to sound eerily like one disco it's not d4t4 is sensibly run by decent people and it uh, as far as i can tell and it's profitable and it's got pots of cash now it warned on profit uh, roland's marked it amber i think that's fair i'd probably go amber maybe leaning towards green personally um <clears throat> He said here, yeah, it was a profit warning. It was a mild profit warning caused by contract delays. And it didn't actually hit profit that much because a lot of the delayed contracts were low-margin hardware-type deals. Now, I looked at it myself, so I'm not going to regurgitate what Roland said. Here are my notes on it. Contract delays. This is for March 2023 financial year for D4-T4. Revenues 3 million below at 21.5 million. But adjusted PBT of 3.5 million for the year is actually slightly up on last year. Um, I've got here 18% below Canaccord's estimates. Thank you to Canaccord for making them available to us. Much appreciated. It's good analysis as well. Um, and you've got 11% revenue growth, growth for the core business at D4T4. So my notes that I jotted down here before 8am on the day were, just on my pad, I didn't publish them anywhere because I'm on holiday, I just said, um, 
not a disaster. You know, I don't see this as being um, a disaster at all, really, actually. And uh, I was tempted to buy some on the dip, actually, uh, because the cash pile is so big. It's about, I think, £17.7 million, which worked out at about a quarter of the market cap. Um, and that it pays dividends, and the dividend yield is starting to look quite attractive on D4-T4 now, now that the shares have dropped a lot. Have they dropped enough is the big question, isn't it? Not sure. I think at around £1.70, which is where I think it initially opened, probably on a few people panicking and stop losses and things, I was tempted to dip my toe in, but it wasn't quite cheap enough. And it has actually it has actually bounced. I think it ended the week about £1.90, £1.95. It wasn't greatly changed from where it was before this profit warning. So I think maybe most of the bad news may be in the price, but it's a difficult share to value. It's got so much potential, but it never quite gets there in terms of the growth. I should also say, I've jotted down here, D4T4 said upbeat stuff about the pipeline. Pipeline up 27%. That's obviously pipeline of new potential orders. Proposals out to customers four times, I'm not sure four times what, but four times what they were previously at some point, I guess. Um, They're going to spend more on sales and marketing, which may or may not deliver results. We don't know. So, yeah, my conclusion, disappointing but not a disaster. And I've also put under that, might be worth opening a small opening position. So I think if D4T4 drifts down again to around the 170p level or lower, I think I might initiate a small opening size position on that one i've held it before so i know the company reasonably well and a couple that they didn't get around to covering in the report gaming realms full year results now somebody shrewd has flagged this one up to me i've looked at it before gmr this business is a software business that does uh it's a software for for online casinos and they've got this thing called slingo which is a hybrid of a fruit machine and Oh, something else. I tried it out on one of the gaming sites and I thought it was absolutely mindless. But it's very popular with the customers, apparently, of these gaming gambling sites. Um, I've never found the accounts opaque enough. I'm not entirely sure. Management on webinars haven't really explained with Gaming Realms what the business model actually is. There's some element of recurring revenues, some element of licensing. It wasn't clear enough to me from their webinars and if I'm not clear on what the business model is, I don't invest. But as I say, I must take a fresh look at Gaming Realms because somebody shrewd told me it's good. <laughs> Another one I'm meaning to look at is Sayeta, which has orders for e-drives, which I think is to do with um, electric vehicles. That share shot up a lot recently. I'm, I'm going to try and take a look at that when... Um, Maybe if we get a rainy day here in Goza over the next week. I'm working again next week, pretty much as normal, but it's a short week because of Good uh, not Good Friday, Good Monday? No, Easter Monday, that's it. Looking at the reader comments on Monday, Illis Wilgig, um, who's a good commentator, as is David Hill. They were both talking about D4-T4. I think both it looks, both of them making it... Generally looking positively, as I do, at the profit warning, if you can have a profit profit warning in a, in a positive way. Uh, OPEC cutting production commented on 
yeah, scanning through these, Traxxas is discussed as well. Um, yeah, and uh, interesting debate as always on Monday. Thanks for all the comments, much appreciated. Right, on to Tuesday's Small Cap Value Report by Roland and Graham. Graham looked at Ramsden's Holdings, RFX. This is um, the Forex, uh, well, mainly pawnbroking and Forex services business, doing really well. It keeps putting out positive updates. Graham's always green on this, rightly so, I think. I think it's. I, I'm also positive on it, if you can get over the hurdle of wanting to own shares in a pawnbroker, of course. Now, Saga was the big one for the day. Full, full year results for January 2023. Obviously, I've got a lot of history with this. I don't currently hold. Um, now, at the time of writing the report, Roland looked at it. It was £1.33, down 3%, but it ended the day much lower. It really went into a nosedive on results day. I couldn't personally really see why, because I I skimmed the results and thought, everything looks fine to me, pretty much as, as expected. Uh now, the interesting thing is Sir Roger Dehan, the former CEO, son of the founding founder originally in the 1950s of Saga, I think this is obviously providing various services to the over 50s, I think it is, mainly insurance and holidays, basically, and it also owns two nearly new cruise ships. And uh, I've actually taken a deeper dive into the accounts this morning, Saturday morning, I think it's quite positive, actually. Uh, I don't know why the market took fright at the sell-off. There's this recurring business about the debt structure at Saga, which, I don't know, a lot of the readers of the Small Cap Value Report seem to uh, have quite a neg- have a very negative view on the debt. But I've been through it all again this morning, and it's not actually um, a, a, a serious problem at all. I think people are just reading it wrong. The debt, uh, now, just some numbers. You've got net debt of 717 million. Yes, that's a lot. But of that 712 million, 469 million of it, so more than half, well over half, is the ship loans. So it's loans on to almost new cruise ships, which have a book value of 607 million. So the cruise ships are worth 607 million. The debt on them is £469 million, which is just higher purchase, basically. It's payable over another 12 years. I've just looked back at the last annual report. And I'm pretty sure it's fixed interest as well on those ship loans at 4.3% and 3.3%, which, of course, is now a very competitive rate of, of borrowings. And the original term, there's another 12 years left to go on them. The original ter- terms, uh, equal instalments... Um, uh, biannually the repayments on them those have now resumed and they've caught up with them because there was some uh, repayment holiday so the cruise loans were 516 million a year ago they're now 469 million so that's a substantial drop what's that 31 plus 16 47 million drop in a year now the adjusted net debt that Saga discloses is all other debt less the ship loans, and that's 244 million. Now, I don't think that's excessive. It's too high for comfort. Let's let's be realistic about it. I'd be comfortable probably with 100 million or less. So I think Saga's got 
maybe 144 million of debt that's above what I'm personally comfortable with. Um, now, you need to split that down into three. So it's the three elements. The biggest element is the ship loans, which is more than fully asset backed. So that <clears throat> simply isn't a problem. The other two elements of the debt is the 2024 bond. There's £150 million outstanding on it. <coughs> now, Saga has more than enough cash on hand already to repay that in full. So forget about it. Basically, it's going to be paid off in May 2024 from existing cash. It's also got an unused £50 million revolving credit facility with the bank. Some changes have been made to the covenants and so on. But it hasn't used that. That hasn't been drawn at all, as far as I'm aware, for quite some time. And there was news as well of a new £50 million loan facility, which has not been drawn down but is available, from Sir Roger. Good old Sir Roger, you might think. Bless his heart. Well, the terms of it, it's on full commercial terms. 10% interest. Uh, significant uh, arrangement fees as well, so it's not entirely altruistic. But Saga's got that in the back pocket, just in case <clears throat> things get a bit tight around the time of the May 2024 bond repayment. So I think um, I don't have any worries at all about the 2024 bond. And Saga is now cash generative again. This is the key thing. There's a big depreciation charge on the uh, cruise ships as well, which of course is non-cash. So and with uh, the outlook for travel and the cruise divisions and the river division all significantly improving now, uh, I think um, I think this, this company has considerable recovery potential. I'm not worried about the debt. <clears throat> now, the other bond, the 2026 bond, uh, this is £250 million. Now, that will have to be reduced from cash flows and then probably refinance any any balance. But that's three years away. So, And as SOG has demonstrated in the past, it's able to just refinance bonds as required, although it's bloody expensive. If you look at the finance costs note, um, it, this bond financing is expensive. Well, it's not in terms of interest. It's only paying 3.375% coupon on the first one. And... Uh, 5.5% coupon on the second bond. So the first one will be paid off. So you haven't got interest rate risk in there either on the, on the debt. Now, the what I would say, though, is the bond market itself, I've looked the prices up on Hargreaves Lambsdown platform, is showing the 2026 bond trading at 78, uh, compared with obviously par of 100, which... Um, is a, a level, the bond market is indicating a level of distress. So that's a 15% yield if you take into account the coupon and the fact that you should get your 100 back when it matures. And that compares with about 12.5% uh, yield on the, uh, what is it, the May 2024 bond, because that's got a shorter time to run. Uh, so, yeah, the bond market is still a bit wary of Saga, understandably it's not a blue chip anymore so um but the the 2026 bond did bottom out at 63 and a half in the autumn in october 22 so 70 77.6 it is now it's recovered about uh, a quarter of the uh, discount par so interesting you know i think i think it's it's undeniable that bond investors are much more sophisticated um, than equity investors. I think most people agree on that who know bond investors, as I do. They're very smart cookies. But equally, 
these things are surprisingly illiquid and you can get pricing anomalies quite often in distressed bonds because I know people who make a career out of exploiting those um, distressed bonds when often people, you know, big institutional investors might have to sell them because they're no longer investment grade and that can create uh, all sorts of opportunities in bonds, uh, I'm told, and I believe that. So, yeah, I think the outlook's improving with Saga. Uh, it's looking interesting again, I think. So, yeah, I'm toying with the idea of by going back into that. I think I'd like to see confidence evaporate a bit more. Uh, I sold them to buy something else at pound fifty. I think I think I sold them to buy a bloody Wan Disco. Oh, God, isn't that awful? An awful thought. But it, we're, not, we're only talking trivial amounts of money, so I'm not going to waste my time and energy worrying about it. What else did the lads look at? Guchin House, Go, Graham's Amber, Epwin, Roland Amber on that one. I might look at Epwin. I've always thought that was quite good in the past. Graham wrote something scathing about one Disco's contract renewals, which are for trivial amounts of money, which is the completely the opposite of what the CEO said to us in meetings about two or three weeks ago when he was bigging the whole thing up and millions and billions and yeah, it was all BS. I'm afraid. Uh, there we go. And then they also looked at Accesso, uh, slightly ahead of expectations, and Venture Life. I'm not madly keen on either of those, but Accesso has got quite a nice balance sheet now with quite a lot of cash on there and could well be a beneficiary from you know, the reopening of travel and leisure because it provides ticketing and queuing solutions electronically for uh, theme parks and the like. Now, on Wednesday, um, I actually flagged up Lookers, L-O-O-K, the car dealers, in the reader comments because Zeus put out, I think it was Zeus, put out a really big upgrade to the profit forecasts by about 23%, I think, from memory. Looks very, very cheap, Lookers does. And these small car dealers are very nicely asset-backed as well. Sorry, broken record. I've been going on about this for years. Roland also liked it. He's green on that. Um, although there was something in the... There has been press reports saying that used cars prices are expected to really plunge uh, in the this year, basically, because new car supply is now returning to normal, which means it's going to be or slowly returning to normal. That's semiconductor disease, which means we could go from undersupply to oversupply. Quite often happens in capitalism, doesn't it? When disruptions cause shortages, it spurs on a lot more production and you then have a glut. Uh, Graham looked at a couple of things I've never really looked at, Northern Bear and Distribution Finance. So have a look at uh, uh, Wednesday's report if you're interested in those. Roland looked at Speedy Hire. I'm not um, interested in Speedy Hire after they lost £20 million worth of scaffolding or whatever it was, which just, to me, says they've got appalling internal controls. So I, I'm not interested in that one. But it says they're in line with expectations. Obviously, they've they've stripped out all the all this gear that they lost, or the customers nicked and they didn't notice. Um Oh, the other thing with Speedy Hire, they did say warns of some softening in de- of demand in recent weeks. So there are increasing signals from various companies uh, that the economy is, is definitely slowing. Seems to be the case, doesn't it? Now, a big acquisition and placing from franchise brands, F-R-A-N. This upset a lot of uh, uh, investors because it was a, a huge £200 million acquisition. But the equity element of it, 
um, was done at quite a hefty discount to the prevailing share price. The trouble is, I think the share price had risen a lot recently, and placings and these type of deals take, what, four to eight weeks to set up. So maybe the share price was kind of at that level. Looking at the chart, it seems that the share price was probably around that level when those meetings started. So, But it, unfortunately, it does sell small shareholders down the river a bit. So I think there are a lot of fairly miffed small investors in franchise brands who um, don't have access to the fundraise. But you could argue they can buy in the market around about that price because the price gapped down a bit. <clears throat> but generally speaking, if a company's going to do acquisitions and do a big placing, I'd want to see it done at or around the current share price, not at a deep discount. So, yeah, and it also will lead the combined group with a lot more debt. Uh, I hope it works because I know um, some of the management at Franchise Brands and they're good people. So, um, and it's an interesting business, I have to say, specialising in acquiring franchise businesses. What else? Oh, Roland touched on the situation at Delarue, D-L-A-R. That's something I've followed for quite a while. Um, it's a pity the turnaround doesn't really seem to be working there, and it looks as if it might be in trouble again. I think they requested payment um, easement from, if that's the right word, um, time to pay, if you like, from the pension trustees, which is not a good look. And then Crystal Amber, um, a major shareholder, is trying to turf out the chairman again. I think they've rocked the boat there uh, a few times before, 10% shareholder. Although I think if a business is in trouble, usually getting rid of the chairman isn't gonna isn't gonna do that much. I would I would say. So, um, but Delarue shares down to about fifty p now. It's either going to be a multi bagger or you're going to have another horrible dilutive equity raise. I don't know which. It seems to just have so many problems coming out of the water, the woodwork rather even. And uh, I'm just a bit wary about that one. I did have it on my speculative tab for 2023 positions but I'm thinking of crystallizing the uh, the theoretical loss on that and just giving up on it but I don't know maybe I will maybe I won't tops tiles put out a good update as well that Roland looked at right Thursday's report 6th of April again Roland and Graham uh, wrote another cracking report on the day before Good Friday. So now, I was active that morning as well because Gear for Music put out a trading update, which was basically a profit warning saying that trading was uh, softer in February and March. But, like, where are my notes? I actually saw this as a more of a positive than a negative. And I'll tell you why. Not for actual trading, but for... The bank debt's come down a hell of a lot. I think it was 24 million a year ago. It's come down to 14 million with an indication that it's going to... Here we are. That it's going to come down further in the current financial year, which is March 2024. Now, that for me is the most important thing. The only reason I wasn't invested in gear for music was because I was worried the bank debt was too high. Last time I looked, it was around 20, 21 million. It's now 14 and a half million with coming down further. Uh, and that removes most of the risk for me. Now, it's only trading around break-even. I wish they wouldn't publish these ludicrous EBITDA numbers, which are, are just fantasy, nothing... They don't even approximate to cash, cash flow because of capitalised R&D and the, the, the way leases are treated. I mean, EBITDA has just become a meaningless number, totally ruined by the accounting 
uh, standards authorities who've made such a mess of things with IFRS 16 in particular. Um, Singers says it's well within its banking covenants. Thanks, Singers. Again, great research, and it's wonderful that you put it out for private investors on Research Tree. It's hugely appreciated. I know it's difficult, but... um, it's, it, I think we're all very grateful to, to get your expert work. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so gear for music, yeah, look, the bad case is it doesn't make any money. It's a box shifter importing uh, musical instruments from China, selling them on and not making any overall profit. I get that. I think that's a perfectly valid point. But the current year, they're around break-even slight loss at the profit-before-tax level, Um I think should be the low watermark because it's the hangover year after the pandemic boom years where kids were not kicking around at home not knowing what to do and parents just bought the musical instruments. Uh, masochistic parents, I should add. Having <laughs> uh, I mean, everyone's peace and quiet destroyed by kids on trombones and trumpets and drums and so on. But look, music is, is, is a wonderful thing for kids and we ought to prioritise it a lot more in Britain. It does wonderful things for kids with behavioural problems. It's it's all about teamwork, playing in youth orchestras. It's all about practice makes perfect, you know, hard work. And it's just a hugely rewarding thing. I wish we prioritised music more highly in this country. We should do. Anyway, the outlook comments on Gear for Music were pretty good. Confident the profits will recover. This second-hand market it's launched for trade-ins is very interesting. You get more if you uh, take a, a credit for your next purchase and keen musicians are constantly uh, buying bits of kit and um, I think the trade-in offer should work and it's saying the soft launch on that has gone well should also be now seeing didn't mention this but it should be getting a terrific tailwind now on lower freight costs from the far east which is a huge number for a lot of these companies a lot of companies that import large bulky items lots of items from China are now seeing a massive benefit from reduced freight charges. I gleaned that from my interview I did last week with Port Merion, where, uh, you know, you're talking about millions of additional profit, and that will feed through to better mar- better gross margins, and hence, you know, give music is... It's, gross margin is only 25.7 which you might think well that's very low which it is but that's after about knocking something like six points off for 600 basis points for uh postage and packing which is they they build into the gross margin which a lot of e-commerce businesses don't and the average transaction value is well over 100 pounds so making 25 quid on a 100 pound sale actually isn't bad in terms of the cash profit very low returns as well it's not like fashion businesses so anyway what i'm getting around to saying is i think give music's now cheap and i have dipped my toe in full disclosure i did buy some on uh, thursday only um a, a small entry-level position i just want to dip my toe in and then monitor it i've followed the business for years and it's been very very good to me i've made two substantial profits on it well into six figures in both both times so it's a lucky share for me gear for music is ridiculous comment but you know there we are now motor point motr this is the car supermarkets group i followed this closely i did have some a while back but i sold them when uh now uh, roland's covered this but i had a look at the trading update myself and my view is it's it's only trading around break even now on huge revenues uh, is it about one and a half billion i think from memory they're they're basically um, 
and each site generates a lot of revenue. They sell nearly new cars, uh, uh, very low margins, and they ram through volume. A really good business model, but it doesn't make any profit at the moment. Now, management seem to be quite uh, relaxed about that, saying, look, we're going to make loads of profit in the future. £116 million market cap. It's uh, got lots of American investors in it who tend to be pretty, pretty gung-ho, longer-term thinking, and tolerate break-even or even losses while businesses grow rapidly, um, which I think is actually a good thing. I wish we had more investors like that in the UK prepared to take a bit of risk to back uh, a, a fast rollout of something. I think MotorPoint's interesting. I'm not ready to go back into it yet, but I quite like the concept there. Now, Robert Walters, RWA, we've always liked this one. Whoever writes about it, Roland Graham and me, all like it. Um, I think that's looking like it's coming into buying territory again. It's just over £4. If you take a long-term view, I think Robert Walters could be a very nice one to just tuck away. And Solid State, Graham looked at. Uh, that seems to be putting out repeatedly decent trading updates, doesn't it? Then there's a takeover bid for Expediator and Fulham Shaw. I think the Fulham Shaw bid is very disappointing. I, I was wanting to buy back into that. It's been nabbed by, uh, on the cheap, I think, uh, you know, sort of small investors. I mean, it was a 35% premium at 14.15 pence, but it whips away the upside from small investors at the most opportunic opportunistic point in the cycle so i think that ah uh, to me i think that's a bit shabby but there we are what can you do you know it's controlled by a handful of big investors including the management and that's what they want to do so that's always the risk isn't it we like these generally small cap value report writers and a lot of our readers do like businesses that a family or, or founder controls but every now and again you do get this situation, don't you, where the founders just whip it away, whip away the upside. So I'm disappointed in David Page. I thought he was going to be a bit fairer than that, but there we go. An Expediator, recommended offer at 42p. Grab it, I would, because it's not a very good business. Uh, and it's gone nowhere since it's been listed, so I think I think that's a lucky escape for shareholders in Expediator. Right, I'm going to leave it there for the company-specific podcast. This is part one, and then I'll do a part two next, just on general market, macro, news and views. So I hope that's been of interest, and thank you for listening. Bye.